What right does a man have to rule another? The thing is so bad, ladies and gentlemen, that if I invented a particular device, pretty soon I'd have to get a permit from the state to use my own product. You cannot get rid of tyranny by fighting tyrants, for a very good reason. Tyranny doesn't exist independently of something else, which is more important. There is a something else which has to be defined before you know what tyranny is. What's that? It's opposite. Freedom. They are not independent of each other. These are not two different things which are at opposite ends of the pole. They are one thing of which the one is a negation of the other. They say, why don't you get into politics? You know, why don't you try to run for office? Then you can create change. You don't create change when you're in office. They tell you what to do. This is how we create change, by getting this information out to the masses. We can do more in one year than someone can sitting in office for eight years. Together they can break us, we are strong. Divide us and the road leads to destruction. Don't you fall a prey to Babylon. They want to pull us all in different directions. So they take you from the root and teach you their own truth. Open up your mind, please don't you be so blind. I'm not in it for the fame, I'm in it for the love. When it's all said and done, we're more than blood. That's it. Welcome everyone to another edition of We Are Not Cattle Radio. It has been way, way too long. Uh, with me, as always, is uh, my compadre and um, fellow liberty activist, uh, Josh Wiley, the one that's actually living what uh, we preach here. Josh of statelesshomesteading.com. Thanks for coming aboard, Josh. Well, thank you, Jake, and thank you for the flattering introduction, even though it's only partially true. I try, but... Hey, you could be, you, you could be Alex Jones, then, if it's only partially true. Well, that's true. Hang out late at night on a Sunday with uh, Leanne and her McAdoo's getting slammed on vodka martinis. That's all right, man. You know, everybody's got to blow off some steam. Yeah, everybody's got to blow off some steam every now and again. But um, it is the third day of June 2016, and we're going to be live here for the next hour. It has been way too long, as I have said previously. This is podcast number 126 for those of you playing the home game. And just to give everyone who is either new to the show, because we do have new listeners, um, I do want to reference a interview that I did that is via Blog Talk Radio. You can also find it on the player um, within the Blog Talk Radio system uh, on the We Are Not Cattle website, wearenotcattle.net. And um, it was an interview with the producer of the movie Vaxxed, which I recommend everybody make a pilgrimage to go see it. No matter where you are, uh, no matter where it is playing, it is well worth the drive. And you will meet like-minded people like Josh and myself that, that question allopathic medicine and vaccinations. Not as a holistic approach, well, from a holistic approach, but just the fact that um, they've been caught a bunch of times tainting this stuff. And, and the whole the purpose of the documentary was to create a call to action to get people more involved and to get this um, – former researcher at the CDC, the man that actually conducted the test on the MMR vaccine, um, found that they were falsifying the data, kept the actual data, and now wants to be subpoenaed so he can prefer, uh, pref- so he can actually go in front of Congress and testify on behalf of all of us that were skeptical and had questions or met someone that had a vaccine-damaged kid. And that happened to me. That's how I got turned on to all this stuff. 
So highly yeah. recommended. Vax the movie. Uh, Josh, yes. Why, why are you talking about such an inconveniently timed film? We're trying to scare up some Zika cash here. We can't have you promoting these thought crime movies. Well, it's it's right okay. It, our, it's our okay, on. Josh. It's okay because we've got one of our favorite guys promoting the scam. So we're gonna go full circle. Don't don't you worry. The, the Zika Zika will get the the funds secured, the assets secured, as they said. The one point what was it? One point three billion that was uh, pledged. Something like that. <laughs> Yeah, so ridiculous. And for people that um, that don't know, there was a $1.3 billion pledged by a whole bunch of different um, NGOs and um, independent agencies, governments, to uh, create a vaccine for um, Ebola. And Ebola. Then, and then the, the, other, the other fake virus craze that we talked about on this very show, Jake, we did a pretty good job of breaking down the Ebola scam. You mean the, um, the mining scam? The Strip Mine Africa Agenda 2030 scam. Yeah, it's okay, everyone. If you want to, you can go back and look in the podcast um, for that. So uh, just to give everyone a breakdown of how the format works, Josh and I will typically pick a topic for the first um, half of the show. Um, We do have a segment that we run uh, rather infrequently called Josh Predicts the Future. Uh, And Josh is our resident expert on all things Agenda 21. So what I will typically do is I will have Josh sell me on the talking points of certain aspects of Agenda 21. Uh, Last time, it was the aspect of, what was our, um, oh, it was the convenience of the cashless society. So Josh had to hit four major bullet points, uh, which he did without reading the article, and because this stuff is getting, um, it's getting very predictable from a, from a marketing perspective, I was a marketing major in college, so it makes all the sense in the world to me. And Josh has just done um, an ungodly amount of research on it. And so now he knows what the talking points are. He knows how they're going to try to spin it and pitch it. So we do a pretty good job with that. We also have another segment. That, go ahead. I was just going to say, they need to bring back some of the 90s advertising, man, where everything is either a screen splash that says radical or it's playing smooth jazz in the background. If you really want to brainwash the population, uh, that's the way to do it. It's the, classic. Dude, the saxophone, the alto sax is is the jam. That will definitely get everybody going. Maybe throw in a little bit of slap bass for good measure. <laughs> there you go. So, And then we have a segment that we're running quite frequently now that uh, started a couple of shows ago, and it's called uh, Alex Jones NLP. We named it Alex Jones uh, NLP for Neuro Linguistic Programming, which is a methodology which... Some would call it a pseudoscience, but uh, there is some validity to the tactics and the cadence and um, some of the verbiage that is used, as we'll explore here later on in the show. Uh, Just showing you how some of the people in the alternative media will exploit um, things like an economic collapse, feast, famine, government overthrow, government coming to do things to you. Which, once again, Josh and I will be the first ones to tell you that we are skeptical of uh, anyone that calls himself an authority figure. Um, but we're trying to show you the rabbit trick. And that is that um, these people are not teaching you how to be free and independent thinkers. They are not giving you tools to unlock liberty. They are not giving you anything other than trying to sell you a product. And I just remembered something that I have to find on my... Um, on my laptop so hopefully i'll be able to stir it up but um <laughs> no because it's a i ran into the i'll have to start with this i gotta find it now so 
I ran into uh, when I went to the Vax movie. I ran into uh, once again a lot of free thinkers there. It was really nice. Uh, people, most people were were um, were either vaccine damaged family had vaccine damaged family or had um, kids that were or immediate kids of theirs that were vaccine damaged. So it was pretty touching when they asked um, people in the audience to stand up who. Who have vaccine damaged children, and everybody in the audience stood up except for my wife and I, and um, we were. Um, it was. It was really. It was. It was. It was tough. I won't. I will admit it was tough to see all these people, all these people affected by um, something that could have been avoided if people would have just told the truth. So speaking of telling the truth, Josh, I ran into this lady. She was very very nice. She talked about how there was an overarching agenda, and it was based on eugenics. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, I found one of us. Fantastic. So um, I scurried after the show and went over there and, and tracked her down. And she was having uh, a drink with her friends out on on, um, on this patio. And I said, I introduced myself, and she told me that she got a lot of her information from this guy named uh, John Paul Jackson. Have you heard of this man, Josh? Never, never heard of him. John Paul Jackson is a um, what's the best way to put it? Is he a Christian apocalypto? Um, you know what? I think you're going to get the first one. <laughs> Hold on a second. I got to turn my volume up here. I didn't check my levels on this. I turned this all the way down. So, yes, you get your first millennial coin. And um, so, <laughs> once again, for those of you new to the so, show, so I, have a, I have a soundboard, and Josh gets his own coin because Josh is a millennial, and he coins himself as a foul mouth millennial. So every time Josh swears, I get to give him a coin, or every time Josh does something right, he gets a coin. I, since I was born in the 80s, or late 90s, or late 70s, early 80s, I get the Mario coin. So, Josh, you were right. Uh, he is an apocalypto, but it gets even better. My friend, uh, my friend Alan Brown, who you've met uh, a couple of times, we were both hanging out. And we're getting excited because we're going to see this guy. And she's like, after I watched his presentation, I was just, um, I was overwhelmed. And so we're sitting there, sitting through about um, ten minutes of this or eight minutes of this nonsense. And I look at my friend Alan, and I finally just look at him, and I said. Alan, dude, just just sell me something. Just sell me something. Given the keys on how to so here is what we have. Um, right after I said that, what what do you think happens? Storm that would usher in unprecedented Hold on calamity. Invo justices involving employers, even going back several go. generations, here and here comes no the setup. They're about to go to break. Justice because they don't know they can do it. But when you learn how to do this, your injustices are going to get settlements. And right. I'll take a settlement from God any day. Be right back after this word. Here it comes. So sell me something, Josh. You got to sell we'll me something. be right back to It's Supernatural. In 2009, proven prophet John Paul Jackson predicted the coming of a devastating perfect storm that would usher in unprecedented calamity through the elements of war, politics, economics, religion, and geophysical upheavals for America and the world. Much of this prophecy has come to pass, yet more is on the way. But you don't have to be a victim. John Paul Jackson Sell me something, the keys John Paul. to survive and even prosper in the midst of this coming tsunami of prophetic judgment warnings. Call now and receive John Paul Jackson's significant end-time teaching 
keep receiving God's justice and his bonus teaching naturally supernatural. Okay, so Josh, how much do you think this is? These two DVDs. 20, $29.95. Oh my gosh, here we go. On one DVD and two audio CDs. Yours for a donation of $35. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9084. Through this end time teaching, receiving God's justice, you will understand that God wants to supply you compensation and restitution for every injustice perpetrated against you. Learn the keys to reclaim. <laughs> no offense, but thank God. Uh, interesting, John Paul Jackson. But wrong. Sorry. Yeah, see, because, you know, the word of God is worth more than $20, but $50, I don't even think, I don't think Jesus would charge that much. Nah. So it's got to be somewhere in that sweet spot. I was just off a little bit. Hey, uh, I guess, well, he included, I guess, I guess he included. John Paul Jackson as a messenger of God needs that extra seven bucks. No, it, well, you, you missed the kicker. It, it includes shipping and handling. See, it was oh, $29.95. Yeah, so the five covers shipping and handling. You gotta get all you gotta get all the you know the uh, technicalities out of the way. So, um, Jake, so f- the, the sad thing about this, and not to not to belittle any Christians in the audience, and not even to get into the esoteric nature of the faith, is that a trigger warning for all of our millennials? Is that a trigger warning for all of our social justice warriors out there? Yeah, ha- hashtag TW. This is a uh, this is an unsafe thread. <laughs> uh, not safe for work or millennials, evidently, but. It's uh, it's sad to see that uh, at least century-long mind control operation in the revival of the end times faith, as well as this new Pentecostalism uh, on one end of the spectrum, and a new age Christianity on the other that's more, you know, like rock, schoolhouse rock for Christians. <laughs> You've got a lot of those in the South. Oh, but- we have the contemporary services abound. Yeah, or non-denominational services, but th- this belief in the end times is a result of the Anglican Church, later adopted by the Catholic Church, uh, trying to create these uh, these essentially mind control operations for the indigenous peoples of Africa when Cecil Rhodes was attempting to uh, to create his one belt, one road, to paraphrase the modern Chinese uh, phrase, uh, up the uh, from, up the center of Africa from from South Africa straight through to the Middle East, mm-hmm. uh, and it was was it the Zulus I believe where uh, this new Pentecostal faith was originally tested the fire mm-hmm. and brimstone kind of end times faith yeah and they said it was just a, a far more infinite uh, an infinitely better tool of control and empire than even the force of the gun or the sword. So, well, you know, interesting it, to see it used on the tribal populations of America. Uh, well, you know, you uh, you drink enough uh, drink enough fluoride and you go through enough uh, Prussian education. I guess you're susceptible to anything, right? Uh, it seems to be the case, unfortunately. Well, let's um, let's move the show forward a little bit. So I had to take a little sidetrack there, a detour. I thought it was a pretty decent setup myself, but um, so after we had that uh, the moment of the sell me something i um dove back into the reality of the situation and the reality of the situation is is that um and i think um, you and i talked about this josh and i think we should rekindle this conversation because it was was something that we need to talk about especially in the alternative media and that is that um people have pieces to the puzzle 
Um, and they have to be uh, – you said it perfectly. They have to be affected personally uh, before they can break out of kind of the malaise of the um, – of the mainstream, uh, we we discussed. I actually discussed this with um, somebody that I work with, um, the the Federal Reserve conspiracy. And she used to work at a large banking firm and never got into finance and always wanted to. And so we discussed um, uh, LIBOR, Lehman Brothers, almost everything. And um, she's she said to me, "So I'm sure you're familiar with the Federal Reserve conspiracy." And I said, "Yes." And I like how she didn't say conspiracy theory because it's it's not a theory. It, this is all proven. But when you move out of something like that, she doesn't have the scope of other things like uh, the allopathic medicine versus homeopathic medicine, the the invention of the MD medicine system in order to treat uh, illness or to treat symptoms rather than um, and to keep us sick and to profit off of us, rather than to teach us how to holistically take care of our body and prevent disease. So. You know, there's there's some gaps there, and then I run into somebody else that I work with that has the the homeopathic versus allopathic medicine piece figured out, but they don't have any of the geopolitical things. So what we try to do on the show is is cover all aspects. We're going to um, we're going to give you research that we've done um, over my I think my tenure now is uh, ten years uh, since I watched Zeitgeist. So. Uh, I've been researching uh, the the grand conspiracy, whatever you would like to call it, the the ruling class that that perpetrates and puts us into a um, into a system that doesn't let us succeed, that doesn't give us free will, that doesn't give us the ability of choice. So we're trying to expose all parts of the system and at least give you not like a guidebook, but show you a way of thinking that will pull you out of this and also give you primary sources to read, which are extremely important to read primary sources rather than somebody's anecdotal uh, conception of, of a book. Um, take, for instance, Tragedy and Hope and some, something like a um, – uh, what is it? The um, – who was it that, that did the synopsis of that that was called the um, – uh, not the uh, the none dare call it conspiracy. That's one yeah, of them. Yeah, Gary Allen. Gary Allen's one. Um, you want to you want to shut your video off real quick? Let's see if that improves your audio quality. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Let's see if that does it. Uh, yeah, Gary Allen wrote that book, and there was also another book by um, uh, the guy that Alex Jones has his uh, son on all the time. Um, can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but it was regarding. Uh, Capitalism and the conspiracy there, and communism, the conspiracy there. Uh, Joel Skousen, Cleon Skousen. So, we're not going to give you the second hand, we're going to give you the first hand. And this is all kind of a setup because I haven't done a show in a while. So, the people that are new to the show, I want you to understand where we're coming from. So, through my deep research, I have a, a very decent understanding of, of the system and how it works. And my job is we are not cattle hosts, is to pull us all out of this thing that's called uh, what we call the sea of rhetoric and we like to i've started a new tagline of rise above the rhetoric and we do this by implying um, the trivium method of thinking and applying uh, grammar logic and rhetoric into how we speak and to how we communicate with one another uh, once again understanding and defining terms before we can move forward with a conversation so that's in essence what the show is about. We do have a lot of fun here. We we um, we will get into some extremely serious topics, but um, we'll always we're always probably good for one or two laughs. I would I would assume. So, Josh, I I now have to. Um, I think it's time for us both to eat a little bit of crow. 
And what I mean by that is I will go ahead and eat the first bat of crow. As a libertarian, I guess I can call myself a libertarian, a philosophical anarchist would probably be the best thing. Philosophical anarchist, but realist libertarian. Um, I am guilty of leading my listeners down this path that we can change things um, through the fraudulent system of voting. And the reason that we bring this up is because now it is becoming more and more perverse. Um, it's not a Don Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton thing. That's that's a scam. That's a scam to keep you guys entertained. It doesn't matter. Uh, what we're going to focus on and what I'm going to focus on is uh, is Gary Johnson and the quote-unquote libertarian nominee for presidency. Uh, Gary Johnson did a... Um, did a awful job of describing what libertarianism is uh, on the Joe Rogan podcast. And he also did a terrible job of describing what it is on Fox News. So I have that clip. And the reason I bring these up is because if you want to understand what true libertarianism is, once again, we're going back to the trivia method, and you have to define terms. So now that I've eaten my crow, uh, I do have those two clips. So we're going to have one clip from from Gary Johnson, then we're going to have one clip from Ron Paul, and you will see the diametrically opposed views of libertarianism, one of which is a little bit more in line with the way that Josh and I think. The other is uh, more of a cowboy, classical, conservative um, – let's, let's see if I can find it here. Warning, warning, bullshit alert. Yeah, it is not libertarianism. They are selling you something that is just classical conservatism. With a little bit of a spin, it's it's quite quite honestly just appealing to the center, which is a, a joke. It doesn't get you anywhere. So, Josh, I don't know if you want to eat some crow for promoting Ron Paul or what your thoughts were, but that was my uh, apology to the crowd. That hey, guess what? Um, you probably can't do this through voting, which we've talked about many times before, uh, especially over the past year, as you and I have both come to this kind of maturation. But um, sorry, guys, voting doesn't work. Not even your local elections. Um, you have to take it upon yourself to be a free, independent thinker, to um, either develop side side um, currencies or you know something outside the system to where you can be successful. So, Josh, um, I can't see you, so I don't know what you're thinking. Well, well, localism is to a large extent federalized, but I mean, if you are if you feel the need to d devote your civic energies towards a collective measure, then that's the place to do it a little bit more successfully. You might be able to get away with axing universal business, uh, universal building codes, for example, on your township zoning board in, you know, rural America somewhere. But, I mean, and I would call that a, a, a positive and progressive change, uh, but certainly not at the national political scope that, that you're discussing now. As far as, I guess, eating crow goes... Um, I volunteered and campaigned very actively and evangelized Ron Paul in 2011 and 2012. But I don't think that at any point during my media production career, at least in its modern vein over the past four or so years, I've ever evangelized any political candidate. So, Well, that's probably true. <laughs> but I did push for Ron Paul, so I will give myself, um, I'll give myself a, uh, a non-millennial coin. But... Um, Anyway, well, at, at least uh, at least uh, support for Ron Paul could be deemed as a, a pragmatic form of propagandizing a certain yeah. awareness. Oh, I, I agree. 
that certainly a lot of young people, uh, myself included to a certain extent, I guess, uh, w- that wouldn't have come to that message otherwise. Mm-hmm. So there, there's purpose there. Whereas, uh, uh, as you describe him, milk toast like Gary Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, I don't, I don't see uh, any kind of positive PR in promoting libertarianism from a Gary Johnson presidency. And this is um, all right. So here is uh, the libertarian candidate for president on Fox News. And um, for those of you that are fellow libertarians or consider yourselves philosophical anarchists like us. Um, get a trash can, because this is pretty gross. 14 minutes before the top of the hour, the Libertarian Party nominating former New Mexico Governor Gary Johnson as its presidential candidate for the second time. In 2012, Johnson barely got 1% of the popular vote, but a recent poll shows 10% of voters now prefer him as their pick for president, so could he actually be a deciding factor in 2016? Let's ask him, Libertarian Party presidential nominee Gary Johnson. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Thanks for having me on this morning. So, Governor Johnson, I live down in Washington. Uh, There are a lot of reporters and people who talk about the race all the time. You're known, uh, the most famous position that you have is that you want to legalize pot. Do you think that that's why... You got 10% this time. Always. They always default to this. I don't know what it is, but they always default to Gary Johnson as the one that wants to legalize pot. Even though Bernie Sanders has said it, but, you know, that's what Gary Johnson's known for. So that, I guess, is what libertarians are known for, Josh. Oh, no way. Uh, Look. Yeah, go ahead. I just say that I mean that's one of many issues that a lot of them are concerned about. But yeah, he's a bit of a one-trick pony. Yeah, here we go, and continuing with the one trick, he's gonna show us how to show us how to be a moderate and just snuggle up. He's gonna, to some... pull, he's gonna pull a joint out of his ass and smoke it on air. <laughs> uh, I don't think ass is uh, FCC regulated, so I can't give you a coin. No, that, that that one's kosher for prime time. Dang it! All right, anyway, here we go. Um... I'm fiscally conservative. I'm the small government guy. Uh, If you want small government, I've really got a proven record. And uh, Bill Weld was also nominated this week. He also doesn't mention he has a proven record of using executive authority to get things done. But you know what? We don't need to worry about semantics. Weekend is my vice presidential candidate. So we are two governors that have served in uh, heavily blue states uh, as Republicans. So... We're small government guys, uh, but we're also socially liberal. There's a- uh, and I think, that's, I think that's the makeup of most people in this country. Um, and I think the Libertarian Party actually represents most people in this country, but they just don't know that they're libertarian. This is going to be a race to watch, because take a look at this new Fox News poll, as we just mentioned, 2016 presidential voter preference. You now with 10%, Donald Trump 42, 39 for Hillary Clinton. And, of course, we've been talking about the unfavorables among Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. These two presumptive nominees have both very high unfavorables. What separates you from those two individuals, and do you think that you could be the big disruptor? Well, really, uh, libertarians, kind of, uh, kind of the best of both parties, or at least what the parties are supposed to be about. Uh, aren't Republicans supposed to be about small government, uh, 
Aren't Democrats supposed to be about civil liberties, people being able to make choices in their own lives as long as those choices don't adversely affect others? Mm -hmm. And look, with regard to these military interventions, how about some skepticism at the table when it comes to the fact that we have boots on the ground, we're dropping bombs, uh, we're flying drones that are killing thousands of innocent people, that at the end of the day, um, it's having the unintended consequence of making the world less safe than more safe. And um, that the at the end of the day, Gary Johnson used that in the Joe Rogan podcast probably 40 times. So, yeah, I'll give you a millennial. I'll give you a Mario coin for that one, Gary. You know what? We've got 69 treaties with foreign countries where we are obligated to defend their borders. And these are treaties that were not negotiated by Congress. They were negotiated by the president uh, and the military. Um, Involve Congress in all this. They've abdicated uh, their responsibility. All right. And that's all I can hear. Thanks, Obama. Yeah, that's all. I, that's all I can stand. So, Josh. Gary Johnson's definition of libertarian is exactly what Samuel Edward Konkin III said it would be, at <laughs> least from a big L libertarian. There he is. Okay, so now let's let's shift. Let's see what Mister Doctor Ron Paul uh, believes that libertarianism is, and this was uh, back in the uh, nineteen late nineteen eighties. So here we go, everyone. The maturation of the Libertarian Party. Selling out of the Libertarian Party. Excuse me. Well, what about the Libertarian Party? Can you tell us a little bit about what it stands for? Libertarian Party is based on a firm principle of non-aggression. We all take a pledge when we join the party that we will never initiate force against somebody else. And that is, uh, you know, a pretty simple principle that everybody should endorse. It's a principle of what makes civilization. That is, you respect other people's life. You respect other people's property. Thou shalt not steal, and thou shalt not murder. It's it's that simple, and most everybody agrees to that. And the next question ought to be is, well, why does, why should you be different than Republican and Democrats if they tend to agree with that same principle? Well, we we believe it's such an important moral principle that if we can't take somebody else's property and we can't hurt anybody or we can't intimidate anybody or threaten to use force, we don't think the government can either. But we see the government as the initiator of force to bring about social and economic changes day in and day out. I mean, they, they may not come up to our front door with a gun, and occasionally they do, but we know if we don't deliver our money and our records and do obediently what the government wants in order to give up our portion of our income through the Internal Revenue Service, the gun will be quickly at our door and we will be in prison. So it's the threat and the intimidation, and therefore they're transferring wealth, something that we can't do as individuals. So we as libertarians reject this whole idea of forcible redistribution of wealth, which is the welfare state. Same way in personal liberties. We apply this principle in the area of personal liberties, and although I might want you and think you should leave a certain, lead a certain Okay, pay attention, Bernie Sanders fans. Lifestyle, because I think it's good and right and moral. I have no right to tell you what to do. You know, if, if you want to live a certain way, I disagree. That's that's tough. You know, that's your, your choosing. That's the individual's choice, as long as you don't hurt somebody else. So the person has the right to his own life and his liberty, his own lifestyle, as with one special rule that your lifestyle, the individual's lifestyle, can't hurt somebody else. So if you do things that I disapprove of, I, as a libertarian, am tolerant and I accept that. 
up until the point of no injury to anybody else. All right, so what do you think, Josh? Better, worse? Well, uh, obviously there's a market difference in uh, those two framings of what libertarianism is. Would you care? Uh, would you care to hear Wikipedia's version of libertarianism? Oh, lay it on me. I guess we got to get the official propaganda uh, metrics in there. <laughs> libertarianism is a political philosophy that upholds liberty as its principal objective. Libertarians seek to maximize autonomy and freedom of choice, emphasizing political freedom, voluntary association, and the primacy, and the primacy of individual judgment. That's not bad. No, as a as a broad painting with broad brush stroke uh, kind of definition, that's pretty good. Sure, uh, it is definitely not but, Gary Johnson's uh, fiscally conservative, socially liberal nonsense. Yeah, well, I I think it's worth noting that at the inception of the Libertarian Party, it's not as if people didn't see this coming. Oh, I mentioned no. Samuel Edward Conkin the third earlier. Uh, he wrote a book called uh, the The Libertarian Manifesto in the late seventies, early eighties. Discussing the the creation of the then new libertarian party, uh, and he essentially came to the conclusion that if it wasn't an overt Trojan horse, uh, then it would certainly turn into one, uh, because the nature of uh, libertarianism and government uh, are fundamentally incompatible. They're diametrically uh, opposed, absolutely. Yeah, and that he he further solidified these ideals in uh, in an agorist primer a few years later where he kind of lays out his roadmap towards uh, a, what we would now call a black market that could fulfill many of the functions of government without needing to organize as a, as an, uh, a deliberate uh, social uh, collective, uh, as was tried in, in a lot of places in the 70s with the commune movement. Right. And it was uh, all based on this um, idea of – he didn't call it a black market, but that's what the the modern nomenclature would call it. He called it the agora, correct? Yes. So there are <clears> – <throat> once again, uh, labeling somebody is probably not the best idea. I label myself – uh, what? Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Before I lose this thought. Yeah, I go ahead. thought that it's an interesting cyclical nature because that's what Konkin predicts at the start of the Libertarian Party. And when we really think about it, Ron Paul is the exception to the rule with Libertarian Party candidates. Yeah. I mean, he was their candidate for the majority of, or at least their their prime presidential bid in the 80s. Was it 88 when he ran? Yep. And then for the next 15 years, it was Bob Barr. Yeah. So, and, and then... And with, with equally as 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 you said, milk toast as Gary Johnson is, and, and you know what? The only person that was um, the only person that intrigued me was um, was John McAfee because it sounds like that he gets it from um, and, uh, he, except in the cybersecurity realm, and then he wants to be a fascist. Yeah, I, I don't get that. Well, I mean, everybody's got a flaw, I guess, but. Um, uh, so, that's, that just just a minor flaw, you know. He wants to build up a digital security state unrivaled, uh, even by our modern one. But yeah, hey, okay. because of the Chinese, Jake, the Chinese and the Russians. Of course, that's a. Uh, well, I don't know when your Libertarian Party candidate uh, starts sounding like your uh, head of your NSA director or your DHS director, then you might want to you know throw up some red flags. Hey, I, all I'm saying is that I think that either of those front runners. No matter which one gets this bid for nothing, yeah. is um, <laughs> it, it, neither of them are good options, really. And it should 
But in a sense, I frame it, you frame this in a negative light, I frame it in a positive light, mm -hmm. in, in this na notion that people who came to liberty through Ron Paul no longer give a shit about the political arena. At least... <laughs> Caught well, yourself, I mean, the didn't ones, you? The ones that are left are stumping for Trump uh, on on Alex Jones's recommendation. But oh, yeah, well, then that's the that's the other thing. Um, I sent out a tweet, and I don't even send out lots of tweets, but I sent out a tweet way back when Bernie Sanders was getting uh, obviously getting the delegates stolen from him, and um, I made this tweet and I said, "Hey, Bernie Sanders fans, um, us Ron Paul fans, we'll see you guys in the uh, anarchist forums here in a couple months." Because you're going to come to the same conclusion that we did, and that is the fact that you're trying to sustain a system that is utterly unsustainable, that has uh, no qualms about doing anything to you and your person and your property uh, for the benefit of the state. And you have to understand that the state is extremely dangerous because it is an artificial construct of human beings that, um, that want to run other people's lives, and that's just not – how society should be organized. Once again, quoting Carol Quigley, where he said that there are three things that exist in society, or three things that exist, right, Josh? It is the individual, society, and government, and two of which are ne are, are necessary, correct? Necessity. <clears throat> yeah. And the, yeah, the, he referred to the government as the state. Right. Yeah. But anyway, so moving on. Well, we, would that be an interesting future, Jake, if we have two completely disaffected wings of uh, political parties that become anarcho-syndicalists on one hand and uh, anarcho-capitalists, for lack of a better term, on the other, voluntarists? That would be... Uh, I, think, I think that would be a fascinating world where you could easily draw boundaries and interact with one another and, and peacefully let the best experiment win. Because fundamentally, those two groups, I think, at their core, are founded on peace, despite the fact that one is organized collectively, which is not my cup of tea and certainly not yours either. Unfortunately, if we look at what's happening in Europe right now, uh, <laughs> we can see that these disaffected wings will probably play into a new fascist uh, on one end and collectivized communist or socialist on the other, and uh, it, it could get ugly. Yeah, it's life is cyclical right and if we don't learn the patterns of human behavior in human history we're doomed to repeat them oh well so josh i think it's um i think it's time man i think it's time to dive into the um i think it's time to drive into the nlp i've got some really good ones for you so why do we do this segment jake just all right so that is a very good question um the reason that we bring this segment up uh, I was an Alex Jones fan for a very long time. I still listen to him for an entertainment value and for research value. Because when I got into the Alex Jones uh, phenomenon, because it is, it's a new way of thinking, it's a, it's a different spin on it, he actually opens your eyes to a bigger picture. He does a lot of good things. But then again, he also does a lot of terrible things. And those terrible things need to be pointed out because if you don't have your intellectual self-defense up, you are going to get swept into this um, this cult of personality that will drive you down a road that you do not want to go down. It will drive you down the road of Trump. As Alex Jones pro professes, he's a self-proclaimed libertarian yet voting for um, Donald Trump. Never having Gary Johnson on his show, not having Ron Paul on his show anymore. You can see the shift, and the shift happened about two years ago, three years ago, when Clear Channel bought up um, – 
what is it? Genesis. Is that what it is? Genesis Radio Network? GCN. GCN. Okay, so... So what I started Not to be do- confused with the vitamin shop GNC. Although if you listen to Alex Jones, you you could easily make that mistake. <laughs> I'll give you one for that. So what I did was I started listening for things that were untrue, and what I started finding was Alex Jones does preach a lot of half truths, and he also um, will not give you the full context of the story that it's involved. So. I found it to be extremely disingenuous, and I also found it to be extremely frustrating because when you have conversations with people that are diehard Alex Jones fans, um, they they understand – they have this cartoonish view of what the New World Order is. They haven't gotten to the point of understanding that the New World Order isn't this cartoon bad guy that's in smoky rooms and we can just go root these people out and beat them to death. Um, Josh and I uh, made this – I think we made this analogy about two years ago. It's a giant machine. It's a giant combine that was created by um, elites probably around, I don't know, Josh. The fine-tuning was done at the, what, about 60 years ago? And then now... Oh, my goodness. I, uh, I, I, maybe the foundations for what we now know is global governance. Yeah. But, I mean, this is, I would say this is a direct outbirth of the British Empire. Oh, the Ruskin, their, yeah. Their, their right. infusion with the financial caste system. How far does that go back? I mean, the British took it from the Spanish. We took it from the Portuguese. Took right. it from the French. You, right. you know, like it, it goes back to Rome and right. Greece and Genghis Khan. I mean, it's a it's a ruling ideology at this point, a self perpetuating ideology. And what happens is is that now this thing is on autopilot for the most part. There is there is not a lot of interaction from what we can see. The 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 players remain the same. There isn't a lot of hands-on. There's a lot of minions that do a lot of work. There's people that are um, the gatekeepers, uh, and then there are people like uh, Henry Kissinger and Zygmunt Brzezinski that are the, the gopher class, as they're described in the, um, in the book Superclass, which is fascinating in and of itself. But the reason I brought up this segment is that I want to show people that are still listening to Alex Jones what you need to be aware of. He's a great entertainment value. Yeah, you're probably going to get some off-stream media. But just understand that if you do not have your intellectual self-defense up, you are going to get burned and you're going to end up in a voting booth pressing a big red R. And we do not want that to happen to you guys. We are all about changing the system through individual action, not joining some kind of circus and and um, celebrity, once again, as Josh said, celebrity nobody. The president doesn't really have a ton of power anymore, people. And the the ones that believe that executive orders uh, are, are, you know, written in stone just don't understand legislation. Executive orders can be overridden by Congress, so this is all for naught. And the office has power. The, the people don't. There you go. That that that's the best way to put it. I, I don't know if it's so much about executive orders being repealed either, as much as it is um, the, having the impetus to enforce certain ones. I mean, there are, there are executive orders throughout history that sure. are that are acted on with with full weight and measure that have significant impacts, mm-hmm. but and others that are very terrifying when you read them and you don't really see them manifest. No, and so. and that's the thing that we're trying to point out to you is that. Um, and that's the other thing we want to point out to you is that um, Alex Jones is there to sell you products to fund people to keep people employed. Do I do I shun him for that? Do I shame him for that? Absolutely not. Keep people employed. Do what you can. If you want to sell products, great. 
but don't dupe your listeners and don't treat people um, like you've been known to treat people that you get into contracts with. So Josh and I have personal relationships that have uh, been affected by Alex Jones. So we have a different spin. So that's where this whole segment comes from, and the reason that we bring it up is because we want you to be – here's an idea. Be informed and understand how to use intellectual self-defense and understand when you're being lied to and spun and um, and just be able to call it out and, and understand that maybe, just maybe, that things aren't as bad as Mr. Alex Jones would like to make you believe. So, Josh, with that, should I hit the theme music? Sure. All right, here we go. All right, everybody, it is time for the Alex Jones NLP segment as I turn the volume down so I don't barricade over it. And with us, as always, is our contestant, Josh Riley. Thank you so much, Josh, for coming on board with us. So, Josh... We have a bunch of different topics tonight. What would you like? Here are your topics. You have uh, Alex Jones' half-truth, Alex Jones dodges the question, the Alex Jones fear, Alex Jones hysteria, or um, that's the last one. So those are, your, those are your four choices. Let me turn this down so you can hear me. So we have, once again, we have fear, we have lie, we have half-truth, and we have the overarching build-up. Which would you like? Hmm. I, I'm drawn to the aversion, aversion of the question. The aversion of the question. Okay, fantastic. Yes. Give me a good straw man. Okay, so here we go. Uh, this is it. And there's another Bill Maher clip where the, he has a hypnotist on to talk about how Donald Trump is hypnotizing people. No, he does not have a hypnotist on, Josh. All right. He did not have a hypnotist on. But let's continue. And basically using neuro-linguistic programming. You know, I love how every wannabe genius out there... He's talking thinks to us. that everyone is using neuro-linguistic programming. Neuro-linguistic programming. Uh, people kept telling me I was doing it. And so I went and read a book about it like five years ago. I watched some videos about it. And it's mainly hype, okay? But people that are talented speakers are naturally going to do things that... Political scientists and advertising scientists are going to codify into some type of language or nomenclature. But let me tell you what sells stuff is being genuine. Okay, so did you uh, did you hear it, Josh? Ah, the the, uh, the aversion to the question. What was the original question being asked? The aversion to the question that I was alluding to was 
Bill Maher had on a hypnotist. He actually did not have on a hypnotist. And, and then he goes on a rant about NLP. And then, and then, as he's going through NF, NLP, justifying it to the audience, justifying how he's a, a a profound speaker and he uses certain terms, and it's just political scientists. He shifts the conversation completely and says, "Let me tell you how you sell things," because he's a salesman. He knows what he's doing, and so here is the the question that Alex Jones av- avoids. He actually, I shouldn't have said question that Alex Jones avoids. He avoids playing this clip. He avoids playing the clip for the entire show. And the reason is, is because Scott Adams is not a hypnotist. Scott Adams is the author of Dilbert. Scott Adams <laughs> is an author of political or, or is a studier of political science and said right at the beginning of Donald Trump coming out that Donald Trump is going to win the front runner and so let's go to the Bill Maher clip and find out actually what happened on Bill Maher you are really an expert on persuasion so I've been trying to invite people on the show who could explain how we might defeat Donald Pumpkinhead <laughs> uh, and tell me your thoughts on that First of all, I'm a trained hypnotist. And a I'm trained a, hypnotist? Yes, I learned hypnosis in my 20s. Actually, went to school for it. And I'm a... May we have a volunteer from the audience? <laughs> <laughs> Look at what these people uh, want. And, and, I've been, and I've been studying persuasion for decades. And when I saw Trump last summer displaying the tools of persuasion, I thought... Uh, did you hear him say neuro-linguistic programming anywhere, Josh? I did not. It, it, hypnotists... <laughs> He did not, Alex Jones. What'd you say? Uh, well, that's the interesting part about that propaganda nexus. Whether it's neurolinguistic programming or hypnotism or uh, no, subliminals, look, yeah, go which ahead. Alex jo- which Alex Jones has been caught using in his Police State Four uh, documentary. Uh, that, that you're right. Exactly. S- submit to fear, people being flashed in your face, but. Hey, I wonder. I wonder if that has anything to do with the cognitive dissonance of the listening audience. Well, but I mean, all of these all of these terms are have created such a soup within alternative media where neurolinguistic programming is something very specific, uh, but people use it as this catch-all for mind control. Yep. And it, I just think it's interesting that despite the fact that Alex Jones brings it back to as to a marketing technique. Uh, and this political scientist is talking about it within the political realm. Yeah. If we look at all of these forms, whether it's NLP, uh, well, he gets in. He form. gets into it. He gets into it. Here, let me finish this. Uh, let me finish the clip out, and then we can. Uh, I know exactly where you're going with this, but I want I want the audience to hear this because uh, this is exactly where you're taking it. But, oh my God, he's not a crazy clown. Everything he's doing, including his complete ignoring of the facts, is persuasion perfection. And I called him to be the uh, landslide winner in the general election last year because the tools he's using, essentially he's basically taking a flamethrower to a stick fight. There's nobody using the same tools he's using. So his complete ignoring of facts are actually part of the persuasion because he doesn't give you targets. He doesn't give you details of his policies usually. Um, So he's, he's reducing the number of targets while making you feel good and focus on the things he wants. So it's not about facts, it's about focus and attention. He also seems to be a master of branding. You know, we see this, he, he never ever says the word Hillary now without crooked before. Crooked Hillary, 
Crazy Bernie. I mean, this is like sixth grade level stuff, but that's the so wrong. No, so wrong. That is uh, the best persuasion (laughs) you'll ever see. When I heard uh, low energy, I called... Low energy, right. Yeah, I called the end of Bush that day because that is a sticky insult. So these are not random insults. I'm not saying they're they're random. I'm not not saying they don't work. I'm just saying he brands people. Low energy, crazy, crooked. No, but there's something else to it. He's, He's working on confirmation bias. When you see anything come out in the news that looks like maybe Hillary Clinton did something a little bit suspicious, you say... Crooked Hillary, so he's he's setting these yeah, up so that it, you're reminded it, of them. It really the comes in. Yeah, I mean, it it looked great this week when that report came out. It fed yeah. right into the narrative. Right, and yeah. lie and Ted, same thing. Right, he's a politician. He's going to say something. Right, that somebody's going to call a lie, and when they do, the nickname just pops in your mind. I remember when he called Dr. Ben Carson the, the sheriff of nodding off. <laughs> and then, <laughs> And, and by the way, he A-B tests this, just like software people do. So he says these, these nicknames in front of people, he sees the reaction, and then he uses them. The brilliant thing he did recently was he came up with a second one for Clinton. He said, well, is she heartless? Is it a heartless Hillary? Or is it a crooked Hillary? And he actually made people debate whether she was more heartless or more crooked. And that's all intentional. Yeah, so there you go. And that's what uh, I was driving at, Josh. So uh, I, was that where you were headed? Uh, kind of. I was just going to note that that nexus of mind control within uh, advertising as well as the intelligence agencies has a very discernible history. You know, this, this whole Freudian method of mind control comes to America via Eddie Bernays from his uncle Sig. And it's only after... Now, please, uh, please, for the audience at home that doesn't follow this stuff a lot or is relatively new, um, please um, let them know who you're talking about. So Edward Bernays is the father of prof- propaganda. He was the, he, the uh, I guess, coiner of the term and uh, was, took a lot of his uncle's ideas. And uh, his, his uncle, uncle being who? Of course, being Sigmund Freud. There we go. That's what uh, I was trying to get to. Ta- taking these psychological ideas and using it to manipulate mass consciousness. Eddie Bernays has a history of, you know, getting uh, as as varied as getting women to smoke or uh, running the campaign through the CIA for the United Fruit Company to take over yep. uh, swaths of South America for for banana farming. Um, so Weren't the Bushes it, it, involved in that? Not to get too far off the topic. Weren't the Bushes involved in that? This is the United Fruit Company. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and uh, so it's really through Eddie Bernays that American intelligence learns about these techniques and starts utilizing them and experimenting with them through the 50s on up to today, really. And uh, it's just, one, interesting to see Alex Jones, who's been such a a stalwart propagator of the uh, history of Eddie Bernays over the years, uh, then sweep it all under the rug, and two... uh, deny the concepts outright. I know you think, Jake, that it's all for money, and I, I'm not going to disagree that there's an element of that at play here, but I think people who deny <laughs> basic aspects of mind control fundamentally are mind controllers. So who are the pre- chief mind controllers in our culture? I mean, aside from corporate influences, I'd say intelligence agencies. I would, I would agree 100%. All right, so um, we got um, we, let's boot the theme song back up here. All right, so we have um, a couple more choices for you, Josh. We have we have fear, 
We have Zika, and, and we have uh, Half Truth and The Build-Up. Which would you like? Well, you did such a good job getting me to buy into the Ebola panic, so let's go with Zika. I want to I want to be scared of the trunk of dead babies. All right, here we go. All right, here we go. I got to get the volume turned back up here. Bear with me, people. Have Just as we're coming up to the Summer Olympics, we're going to have people from all over the world going to Brazil. Isn't it interesting that this weaponized uh, Zika... Uh, has that been confirmed that it's weaponized? It has now. All right. David Knight. Look at his beard. He's so authoritative. Fantastic. He looks like Santa. God, I mean, heck yeah. I'll, I'll give you a millennial point for that Along one. with the weaponized mosquitoes that they've genetically engineered show up in Brazil. At the same time, we've got the Department of Defense coming out and providing a couple of million dollars to track its spread throughout the world. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> well, the uh, uh, Zika Olympics should, should be moved for sure. That's a, a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, this uh, GE Zika is just too dangerous. We know that uh, 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 it, it basically destroys uh, uh, fetuses in, in the woman's uh, womb. Uh, we also know it uh, gives uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome uh, that paralyzes people. Uh, there are all sorts of other uh, side effects uh, that happen to uh, adult males and uh, adult females. We, we simply do not know yet the total consequences of how dangerous this GE Zika really is. Oh, okay. So we are all sold on the fact that it is genetically engineered and it's going to kill us all. So here we go. Back to it, Josh. So we now have... We know how... You think, uh, yeah, go ahead. You think, music you think Alex right will be having John Rappaport on anytime soon? No, absolutely not. No, absolutely not. So I don't, I don't think the likes of Rappaport are allowed in the new Info War. No, I don't think so either. So, we have uh, Fear, uh, Half-Truth, and um, Build-Up. What would you like? Uh, let's, let's hear some Half-Truth. Okay. A lot of folks aren't noticing because they're too busy mesmerized by the brainwashing. Quote of the New York Times, by delivering synthetic genes into the muscles of experimental monkeys, just like it was monkey kidneys that gave 98 million Americans, according to the federal government, cancer, SV40. Um, totally wrong, Alex. The government admitted that one-third of the population that received the 98 million vaccinations may have contracted SV40, which may cause cancer. None of it's proven. None of it is admitted. Even the CDC's own website, which I have the PDF, and I will repost it at wearenotcattle.net in the show notes, and along with all these clips for your fun, so you can play all of these if you would like. Uh, at your leisure, or you can play it for friends and, and show them how, um, if they're Alex Jones fans, and kind of show them uh, a little bit of the magic trick. So what do you think, Josh? What, what, what was the name of uh, the... He works at a prominent pharmaceutical company while those uh, polio vaccine trials were going on mm-hmm. that were SB40 contaminated. What was that gentleman's name? I can't remember, but it's the one in the documentary. You're talking about the PBS documentary way back? Well, I don't know if it was a PBS documentary, but it was a uh, it was a hot mic that went unaired for a segment on some kind of public broadcasting, mm-hmm. where where he admitted 
that SB40 and uh, as a cancer vaccine was spliced with with the polio vaccine that he worked on for this corporation at the time. Right. So that that's where the genesis of the story comes from, and it's a true story, and it's it's unsettling. But I mean, half truth. Um, ninety eight ninety eight million. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd call it a half truth as much as uh, as a fudge the numbers. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we'll take that. I, I will. I will buzzer myself. Maybe 60-40 on the truth to disinfo ratio. There. Okay. All right. So we have um, we've got a couple more left. We have. Let's see. What do we got? Left? We have fear. Josh is avoiding the fear for some reason. So we have fear of collapse. I'll, I'll break it down for you. Fear of collapse, um, build up, and I think that's all we got left. Fear of collapse well, and build up. I, I want the build up before my fear, man. Okay, so let's do the build up. Now, Josh, for the bonus question for one SDR, when do you think in the show, in the three hour Alex Jones show, does the build up occur? Hour 15. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Well, I mean, the logically, I want to say it's at the beginning or the middle of hour two somewhere. Ah, we've done this. We've played this game before. It is at minute 40 to the dot, and this has happened four times. It's a coincidence, everybody. Minute 40. Are you ready for the buildup? Let's hear it. I want to lead, and I want to see others that have got better right stuff than I do, and I want to put them up front and launch them and support them. And I want to see them support me right back. And I want to see them charge hard against parasites and enemies and run them over for this species. <laughs> full gear, full power, automatic, maximum, more of it now. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, kind of like how he supported Aaron and Melissa Dykes in their independent media ventures. Absolutely. Like that kind of support, like spiking your drinks at a bar kind of support. Yeah. Or, you know yeah. what would be really cool, Josh? If I could have this as a... Um, as an ISO on the uh, on the tablet. Full gear, full power, automatic, maximum, more of it now. That's how we're Amazing. gonna. That's how we're gonna. That, ha- that, that should be the spot for Super Mario Vitality right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, people. If you listen to Alex Jones and you didn't bust a gut laughing right there, you um, you got some problems. That's two millennial coins. That was amazing. Okay, so you have the f- the buildup. Now we're going for the fear. We're going for the home run. Here we go. Scare everybody to I death, personally Alex. personally have been trying to get storable food into the office, more generators, medical equipment at my house. I personally have been trying to get my getaway out in the country in case everything you know gets turned off. There's no point of being here. So I've got fallback positions, but I seriously think it is now a serious possibility Maybe even a probability that we're going to have a giant world war, uh, martial law, power turned off. I mean, the government is digging in. The elites are digging in. I would be insane if I wasn't. Oh, okay. So evidently Josh and I are insane because we're not um, having fallback positions. I, I guess Alex Jones is a, is a military man now. So uh, I, th- I think. Well, no, but I like, I like that we're now on the, on the path to world war. Oh, yeah, the World War thing is exactly why I brought it in. So that is going to do it. Yeah, go ahead, Josh. Like like we were back in 2001, right? When those fine helicopters were flying over the Pacific Ocean. ATMs were shutting down worldwide. Okay, so um, for the next show, everyone, I will splice some of that. Josh is talking about the um, Alex Jones show where he 
literally uh, said that World War was coming and then um, lied about it subsequently. So thank you for Josh Wiley participating in the Alex Jones NLP game show. I hope the people that listen to Alex Jones now will listen with a little more of a critical ear. And we do appreciate your attention to the show today. Josh, we are um, oh, we're a little bit over time, but we started a little bit late. Uh, anything front and center on your radar before we uh, before we close it out? Well, there is no overtime now that we've got the unlimited stream. Aside from aside from uh, familial issues, if you but, want, I can. Uh, if you want, I can pull up the uh, British lady just to talk to you. Oh God, no! But just to, to put an end note on that fun little segment there. I don't want anyone who out there who, you know, is a prepper or anything or has their getaway location or bug out bunker. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to get butt hurt because I think that those are smart things to have. But Absolutely. Not necessarily, not necessarily in that manner. You know, if you're going to if you're going to bug out to the country, do it because you want to set up, you know, an organic uh, homestead or, you know, be self-sufficient yourself, not because you think the Russians are coming. You know, if you want to have storable foods then you know for a period of you know intense financial uh, calamity then that's fine maybe the just-in-time delivery system breaks down but we're on a trajectory to be folded into a multi-currency basket of sorts and i don't know necessarily how we get there but it's not going to be the chaos there will be hardship but it won't necessarily be the chaos that people that people expect or even long for in this regard um so, I guess that kind of rolls into the the last bit. But what were you going to say, Jake? Are, are you um, are you saying that John Paul Jackson is a liar? Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm so, I'm sorry, John. I'm sorry, but you're full of crap. <laughs> but you know what? I'll send you a picture of him. But if you can just imagine a yeah, just you got to see a picture of him, then you'll get the sales pitch. It's oh. I want people to look up an event called the Great Disappointment in uh, the mid 1800s. Uh, you read that, and then uh, maybe show it to your Christian apocalypto friends. <laughs> this right. has happened many times in history. Uh, see, now you're going back into forensic history and stuff, and that just seems like a lot of work. So, yeah, you know. what do you uh, do? You got anything else, Josh? Or are we are we about to um, jettison this thing? Well, Thanks, I just want to touch on this really quickly. Because sure. like yourself, um, I've been uh, on a little bit of a hiatus for media production over the past couple of months. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I put out an article about a week ago now. Oh, yes. Dr. This needs Br- to be discussed. Yes. Yeah, called uh, Dr. Brick's Love or How Alt-Media Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the New World Order. Uh, just a play on the Stanley Kubrick title from Dr. Strangelove. And it's really at its core critical of the notion that uh, the BRICS and the AIIB will somehow take over the world as the Western Empire burns. And just comparing and contrasting that kind of rhetoric in alt-media with uh, some research papers being published through the likes of Chatham House, the most recent one, just showing you how not only common these narratives are uh, in in their um, their view of the macro-financial landscape, uh, this idea of the East rising and the West falling, but also how the end games described by these people are completely and utterly different. Uh, the people who expect, uh, you know, China to ride in on gold-plated puppies and kittens and start a good IMF um, 
are going to be sorely disappointed with the way that the Anglo-American establishment thinks this is this is going to play out. So statelesshomesteading.com is is my website, and I blog under the pseudonym of Rusticus. I would really, I think it's an important article because it kind of goes into breaking down what we were just talking about uh, with regards to disinformation and uh, mistruths in alt media uh, on more of a microcosm scale than than the beast that is Alex Jones. <laughs> but the, the one of the interesting responses I got from some of the um, places that resyndicate my work, who shall remain nameless, um, was fairly negative. Uh, my readers responded positively because they got where I was coming from, but the uh, the gatekeepers of alt media, so to speak, were very uncomfortable with the article because it went out of its way to identify some of the players, and I'll list their names. Paul Craig Roberts is one of them. He sells people a, a bottle of hopium. Uh, or uh, Jim Willie, the Golden Jackass, is another prominent uh, financial uh, soothsayer within alternative media who's guilty of promoting this meme. There's so many of these people. Ben Fulford, if you want to go for the wackadoodle, psychic, alien, uh, 1,000 ninjas controlled by Vladimir Putin line. You know, the, these people are all, all over. Veterans Today is another one that is expressly mentioned. And these, the, these, uh, some of these rebloggers were uncomfortable with the idea that uh, I was promoting infighting within alternative media, to which I... Oh, sorry, Jake, were you going to interject? Yeah, just... Since when did since when does his discussion and when did uh, a, a counterpoint become so um, so insulting? Well, well, it's just curious to me because, of course, I take my blog uh, pseudonym of Rusticus from the revolutionary pamphleteer, uh, who wrote Beware the East India Company uh, on the eve of the Boston Tea Party. Uh, and he really exemplified throughout his pamphlets that the, this, the corporate uh, integration uh, with the British Empire was really what the problem was and why America needed to revolt, because the empire was, was based on these, these dual factors. Um, and in, that, in promoting that message... There was plenty of infighting, Jake. I mean, I don't know if you recall from history, the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists, if you can think back to middle school history inter- or elementary school history. Are you trying to tell me that that, uh, that Thomas Paine wasn't, um, and um, let's see, who else we got? Um, Thomas Paine. Who were the other Anti-Federalists? You had, um, oh gosh. Well, Thomas Paine, Thomas Jefferson, certainly. Um, uh, John Adams, to well, he's more of a Federalist. Um, you could say uh, Patrick Henry. Patrick Henry, John, there you go. That's John Hancock. Yeah, Patrick Henry, the, the one Federalist. that the one that actually got you guys the Bill of Rights. Otherwise, you would not have that. So, yes. Good luck. Yeah. But the I mean the the nature of this historical period was infighting. All these people had a had a common agreement that uh, the colonies should be a separate and distinct political entity from the British Empire. But they disagreed vastly on what the problems were and how you should set up a, a government that could resist tyranny and imperialism. Uh, and that was, that was the core of, of that quote-unquote infighting. They didn't all just unite behind, uh, behind uh, a strong federal government because it was convenient. There was a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of debate and discussion that went on informing 
forging the original ideas of liberty in that first attempt uh, at human autonomy. Yeah, and uh, that we can that we can now see in a lot of ways was uh, was intelligent, and in a lot of ways was flawed. Right. But with the retrospection of history, I, I just find it interesting and and somewhat disturbing that that there's an unwillingness to confront that uh, the, that kind of dialectic within modern alt media. Yeah, and it's um, it was something that I had to bring up as well when when talking to a couple of um, you know a couple of my friends that are libertarians and they're you know getting on this idea of um, of Donald Trump and they were saying oh well you know the establishment uh, you know the establishment doesn't like him and they're doing everything they can to stop him and I said and I kept saying. Yeah, it's one hell of a dialectic, isn't it? Because and these people are people that understand the right-left paradigm. They understand uh, some of this stuff, but they haven't gotten to the point of understanding the sophistication that, hey, um, just because just because this elitist faction doesn't like this person doesn't mean that they're necessarily good. He could be part of another elitist faction that's trying to to gain power in the in the global market. In the in the in the global back rooms and and trying to strong arm people, so the idea that there is somebody on a white horse riding in to save you, and you and I talked about this earlier, Josh. This idea of um, of the you know savior complex, we talk about this a lot, and and it's uh, it's rampant in alternative media. Whether it's uh, whether it's uh, Donald Trump coming in on a white horse to save you from the new world order. Or the uh, what is it? The White Dragon family that's going to come and save you, or, <laughs> or the mythical it, white hats promoted by someone like a Bix Weir, you know, who says all of these forces are working together in tandem on your behalf. Yeah, we we talked about it a little bit on the phone, Jake, and I described it as you know being this malaise in a post Ron Paul world where all these people that have come to truth no longer have a, a, a central a charismatic leader to guide them or even really no outlet for hope. Right. So we either descend into, you know, these ultimate perils of, uh, of complete, uh, you know, uh, uh, nescience or... Ooh, please you know, define that term. We have to define that term for people that don't understand because that term is not used anymore in English grammar and it's not used for a reason, people. Uh, yes, uh, nescience is willful, willful ignorance. Is uh, and what is, is the what is the technical definition or the original definition that uh, would conflict with nescience now, or what is substituted for nescience? Well, nowadays, ignorant takes the place of nescient, but I- ignorance is very specific. It's uh, I mean, you can see it in the root words, root word of ignore. It is to fundamentally know something, but not to internalize it. Correct. So, all right, continue. I didn't mean to get you uh, off on a jack, but I did want people to understand because that term is very, very important. Yeah, but people are now uh, making up saviors. But, well, not maybe not making them up, but it's just disturbing to see in the two saviors that have taken root specifically, you know, the rise of the East coming to save the world economy or the rise of Donald Trump as a new political, uh, you know, uh, scapegoat or political political figure for people to rally behind yep. you know i think to a large extent jake we're odd men out on the trump phenomenon just because we've never considered it even well no we lot. called it when did we when did we say it back in december that he is um he was there to basically uh, uh throw in the towel and uh, give it to hillary yeah well i think if people look at the 1907 election 
uh, or no, excuse me, the 1912 election uh, between Woodrow Wilson, uh, the president, then President Taft, yeah. and uh, Teddy Roosevelt, and the creation of the Bull Moose Party. There you have three candidates who are essentially bought and owned by the establishment. But Woodrow Wilson was the selected candidate. Think about Taft's grandfather was one of the founding members of Skull and Bones. He's and he was, consummate, also, he was also a yeah. 33rd degree Freemason. Exactly. He was a consummate insider, but he was not the insider they wanted. So they took one of their other insiders, faux trust buster, Teddy Roosevelt, who set up the conditions for the Panic of 1907 that brought about the Federal Reserve anyways, and, and pit him against Taft to split the votes enough for a landslide electoral college victory by Woodrow Wilson, unparalleled in American history until Ronald Reagan in 1984. Uh, almost the entire map of this country was painted blue. So uh, this is a, that's, a deep, that's a deep level game where all, it's not just a, a dual party dialectic. It's three people, one of whom seems to be the consummate outsider, uh, who are being pitted against one another, and fundamentally, it doesn't really matter which one wins out in the end. Uh, and it's frustrating to see similar dialectics being played today without people recognizing that this this could be the case. Yeah, and the only thing that I said, to, uh, I told my wife, is I said that um, if Trump if Trump picks um, Senator Sessions to be his vice president. He would at least have um, one one millionth of a percent of support from me because Sessions understands the the threat of globalism, but I don't think that he under well he might understand the scale that it that that it's on because he's the one that challenged Leon Panetta when Panetta said that all they needed to uh, conduct military operations in Syria. I played this on my podcast a couple of years ago. Good God, I think it was three years ago. Um, he was the one that questioned Panetta on, well, what are you going to tell? Well, what what about Congress? You got to get Congress's approval. And he's like, no, no, no. I mean, if we form a coalition, then we can kind of do it. And he said he was he was breathless. And so at least Sessions is uh, as you know as bad as it may seem from somebody coming from my philosophical standpoint. He's a nationalist, but at least uh, I could get behind somebody that understands rule of law and the international politics and and the role that Congress should play. You know, once again, looking at this system the way that it's stacked now, it, it's it's atrocious. I mean, we look like the we look like the House of Commons in Britain. You have people that get up there and and give a bunch of speeches, but nothing ever gets done in Washington D.C. And I know from history that we set up this system so that so that it could protect freedom. So it would be very hard to pass laws because, as the founding fathers and other political um, minds of the time understood, the more laws you pass, the more freedoms you take away. So I understand the the larger perspective of it, but that's the only person that would actually get me somewhat interested in this political race, but I don't think he's going to do it. If he does, it'd be great because then I could have somebody that... I could at least somewhat stand behind philosophically because he does not want uh, he does not want international order. But I'll take nationalism for I'll take nationalism for a while until we can get over this whole monkey business of you know politicians drawing imaginary lines in the sand and calling them borders. So Jake, you you could have Lao Tse himself running as vice president. It wouldn't <laughs> it, it wouldn't matter. I mean, I just because. 
you know, it's it's very rare that we have fundamental disagreements, but I fundamentally disagree with even the notion of nationalism being a part of incrementalism towards a more autonomous uh, nation. So you state. don't so you don't think that that would be a, a a natural progression step to move towards nationalism, then statism, then localism. You don't think that we could do it that way? Not in, not in the slightest. Certainly not at national the nationalistic level. You'd have to start with smaller. Smaller units of government. So it would have to be. It would have to be the the, the localized. Uh, there would be localism first, and then branching up, and then possibly a um, deconstruction of the federal government as it stands now, with the abolition of uh, the Department of Education, the IRS, all that stuff. Well, I think that ultimately the only way to really do anything about this is to make a, a virulent enough agora to where government services that people now rely upon or think that they need uh, have have vibrant alternatives. That's a good point. And, th- and then you can fundamentally, you know, rediscuss the nature of government if you need one at all. Uh, and, of course, a, a vibrant, vibrant localism, the first thing it topples is global and multinational trade deals. Yeah, that's very uh, true. But I, I would just say that that's part of this dialectic that's being played out, especially in these Chatham House papers, uh, where they say quite clearly that you know the the rise of nationalism is something that's on our radar, and if you go back even further to something like um, the the Rockefeller panel reports back in 1967 that were chaired by Henry Kissinger and uh, it was uh, David Rockefeller Senior Jr. that that uh, commissioned those reports, mm-hmm. uh, and Nelson was also involved. Yeah. But they say virtually the same thing as these Chatham House reports. That national, that na- the na- character of nationalism is not going away, and to a certain extent, you can strengthen it, so long as these national entities uh, adhere to some sort of international global, order, right? International order, global structure. So you can have, you're allowed to have the facade of nationalism, right? Uh, provided or not even the facade you're allowed to have some regional autonomy even mm-hmm. uh, but you have to adhere to this set of monetary and now as we see emerging with agenda 21 slash 2030 environmental uh standards right or I, as as you and i call it eco-fascism yeah i think uh J- james corbett at corbettreport.com has a really interesting breakdown of that and he uh he describes it far more eloquently than i can at the moment well but that, I'll, I'll that's that that i think it's a dangerous dialectic to play into well, I agree. Um, you know, I was thinking of um, something to be positive about um, from from all of this sea of negativity that we swim in. And you and you and I talked about this on the um, on my ride home. It was the it was the discussion in, involving how do you galvanize a an extremely not just disenfranchised. I think you. What was the term you used on the last show that they're um, just that people are, they're, um, God, what was it? Despondent. Yeah, despondent, and they're and they're just you know, they, there's this feeling of um, hopelessness. I guess this, but it's it's underlying. It's not really on the surface because if you have you have so much of the nation that's divided on this political theater that they're calling an election. It's the presidential reality show. It's it's a big money grab for networks. It's trying to get you to watch stuff. It's 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 nonsense, and they're trying to sell you products in, in between. Um, you know, making you watch the dog and pony show that doesn't really matter. 
But I think what what we need to do, Josh, is possibly develop a strategy from <clears throat> from a, a volunteeristic standpoint of of how we do these things. Obviously, we need to take individual action. You you have started taking individual action with doing homesteading. I've started taking individual action. Um, and guys, when we're talking about individual action, it's not something that's um, that's um, that's gigantic. It's something as simple as uh, you know, growing your own food, uh, having your, you know, having having you know things around the house that are not just um, not just environmentally friendly. If if you want to go down that road, but just doing things that are smart that will make you more self sufficient, like um, solar panels or you know, solar panels don't always have to be about you know being a, an eco fascist. It can be about I just want to remove myself from as many cogs of this giant machine that I can. And so you got to give – I mean I'm giving people hope because I'm still in the system. I still am in the debt hologram. I still uh, go to work at a corporate job. But I also have things that I do on the side that are trying to work me for towards autonomy. And, and I, I think that that should That's be the goal. That's true incrementalism. And I think that I think that that should be the goal, and and like you, and we have to celebrate the victories that we do have, and celebrate them for ourselves. And like you said, uh, if we have localism, then we can top globalism. Because uh, think if everybody grew their own vegetables, or everybody had um, uh, their own garden year round, and um, it's it's uh, what I talked to you about on the on the phone on the ride home. For people that are um, of the idea that that government can help you and that government wants to look out for you, and don't get me wrong, there are people. Government's made of individuals. Individuals have feelings. They have empathy. They uh, a lot of them get in it for the right reasons. They want to help people, but um, using the mechanism of force and coercion is not the best way to do it, in my perspective. So, for all the Bernie Sanders fans and people that believe that that bigger government and social programs will change things. If the government really gave a you-know-what about you, they would give you tax incentives to grow your own food. They would give you tax incentives. Well, they do give you tax incentives to put um, solar panels on your house, but then they make you hook it to the electrical grid, so it's not really uh, an incentive at all. It's, it's, there's no autonomy. You're still tied to the system. So think of it in terms of that. Why is the government arresting people for catching rainwater? That seems like normal human activity. That seems like something that would be, you know, on, on the on the par of recycling. Are we going to get to a point where if I are we going to get to a point where if I throw a um, a, a a paper um, a paper towel in the trash that some robot reports me to the NSA and I have green police show up and write me a ticket in my house? That's where it's going if you don't stop this stuff. And and just understand that technology is a double-edged sword. You can use it for good and bad, but right now it's being set up as a giant panopticon to capture and control human activity. That is the overarching goal. That is the overarching theme of Agenda 2030 and Agenda 21. Josh, did I miss anything? No, yeah, that's the that's that's the macro structure right there, Jake. It's and it comes down to besides the savior complex. This idea that there is, there's no easy way out. Yes. And there's no one that, no one coming to save you aside from yourself. Yep, I agree. And the people around you, the people that are of like mind, the people that you care about on a on an individual basis, and, and you know, from there you can work out and connect and form voluntary collectives in other manners. But it's like let's just assume for a moment 
I think that one of the greatest appeals of Donald Trump to the alternative media at large is this notion that he is somehow opposed to globalism. He doesn't like global trade deals. He has spoken disparagingly about COP21, the conference in Paris, and these new new millennial de- new millennium development goal type stuff. Let's just, let's assume that you know he we can take him at face value that these things are going to be accomplished. Never mind that you know GATT and the Uruguay Round and Rio 92 mm-hmm. and NAFTA and CAFTA and the TPP. These are all. You know, they all have to be. Congress. They all have to. Yeah, they all have to be um, unratified by Congress. The president can't do. Yeah, just, uh, there's no. Out. There's no uh, uh, impetus for the for the electoral uh, branch to to do anything. Uh, the executive branch, excuse me, to do anything about these. If, if even if we said that they could, you're talking about massive price hikes for virtually all goods yep. overnight. Yep. Uh, because because of the way the global economy has been engineered, and what 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 does that ultimately create as a function of that? It means that you're going to have to start producing things a lot more within your own borders, and and you know those things will be more price competitive certainly if you're going to be you know u- utilizing tariffs to to block uh, global trade deals and axing global trade deals, but it means that you have to have an infrastructure to fall back on. <laughs> You know, you have to have a manufacturing base. You have to have a farming base that can feed people and not just grow corn for subsidized ethanol. There we don't have any of these things, I Jake. Agree. We would be hapless with our dicks hanging in the wind. So all I'm saying is that, you know, whether, whether it, uh, it, it, uh, we transition into a globalized order or this, or this all collapses under its own weight or even these trade deals get revoked, you come back to the same fundamental conclusions every time. And that's more vibrant local economies, more sustainable in the real sense of sustainability, not this Agenda 21 crap, but real sustainability. And, you know, you're either, you either have other people directing that future for you or you direct it yourself. And, you know, it's that I quote it all the time, Jake, but there's that one John Taylor Gatto quote uh, where he says, you either write your own script in life or you unwittingly become an actor in someone else's. And that's that's fundamentally what this is all about. Who's going to write your script? You know, if if you're not creating the world that you want to live in, uh, then how do you expect other people to follow an example that you don't live yourself? All right. Very well done. Very well done. So, Josh, tell thank people you, tell people where they can find your work, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, you can find my work at statelesshomesteading.com, where I blog under the pseudonym of Rusticus. Uh, mostly writing geopolitical and macrofinancial stuff right now, but I definitely want to get into more pragmatic solutions on how to go from zero to 60 in homesteading, from where to get land to how to produce your own energy to how to grow food, uh, all that stuff. So hopefully that, that it will be a resource for that as well by the end of this summer, statelesshomesteading.com. And you you know what you could do at the new uh, at the new homestead, Josh. I was thinking mm. about this. Full gear, full power, automatic, maximum, more of it now. All right, all the time. I play that to my squash every morning, actually. <laughs> all right, that's it for the show, everybody. You can find my work at wearenotcattle.net, or you can follow me on Twitter. We are not cattle, the number one. Don't friend me on Facebook. I never use it. I just use it to promote the show. That's it, everybody. Remember, rise above the rhetoric, peace, love, and liberty, and um, we will see you next time. You
I'm a good guy.